Pastor PJ is on the plane right now, on his way back to Orange County. He was preaching at Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, and so he asked me to fill the pulpit for him while he was gone. And so it is my privilege and honor to be here with you, not only as the guy in the back who just sits there and observes everything, but now the guy in the pulpit with a microphone getting to preach the Bible to you. So thank you so much for being here, despite the fact that Pastor PJ is not here. He sends his love. He misses every single one of you. He's thinking about you probably right now, you in particular, you. <laughs> well, speaking of the Bible, in 1631, a Bible was printed and it had a horrifying, jaw-dropping statement inside, which is why it was titled Satan's Bible. It was also known as the evil Bible. I'll let you take a look at the screen and see if you can find the reason why it was called these names. In 1631, in Exodus chapter 20, looking at one particular verse, verse 14, it says, Thou shalt commit adultery. Well, when it was discovered that this Bible was printed erroneously. A mass recall was issued, and nearly every single Bible was recovered. It was uh, as a result of this error, the king at the time penalized the printers and promptly removed their license. They suffered a massive loss. And I think after this, they were actually financially ruined after making such a drastic mistake. One typo can, in fact, ruin a Bible. What you're reading on your title page is actually not a typo, but it probably can get me fired. I'm going to give you tonight three easy ways, three steps on how you can ruin your life. So every point tonight will in fact be a point to the contrary. I don't want you to apply the point. I want you to do the opposite of the point in case that wasn't clear. But just so you know, this isn't a typo. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 9. And what, the reason why I'm approaching it this way is because you've seen a lot of these themes before. The first nine chapters of Proverbs is kind of a, a, a singular introduction to the rest of the Proverbs that you're going to read now, you're not going to go through them in the rest of the series, but Proverbs as a whole is divided into about three sections. One through nine is the introduction. Ten through about 30 or 29 is kind of the meat of it. It's where you get a wise man is like this, a foolish man is like that. You know, the little couplets that you're used to reading. And then the last two chapters are kind of a, not a hodgepodge, but a slightly different theme as it closes out the, the book. Well, in this chapter, this is the end of the introduction. It's a long introduction for Proverbs chapter 1, but it's the end of the introduction. And as such, it actually looks both ways. It's going to look back at everything that you've already seen in Proverbs 1 through 8, including chapter 9. And it's also going to look forward to verses or chapters 10 through 29. In that, in that sense, it functions as a Janus. It looks two ways, and that's where Proverbs chapter 9 fits. Well, in this chapter, you will see yet again the choice that is before you. You'll have a choice between life and death, wisdom and foolishness, righteousness and wickedness. That's what you're going to see. Now, one thing I should clarify before we jump in is that as we read this, you're going to see the, the depiction of life and death made out clearly. Now, most often when the Proverbs are using these terms it typically doesn't mean actual death or physical death, at least not immediately. It is, it is implied. It is suggested. But what it's talking about here, when it talks about life or death, it's talking about the quality and the quantity of your life. Uh, wisdom, skillful application of knowledge, skillful application of biblical knowledge is the whole point of this, to help you avoid death, to help you live life, to help you run away from those things which will demean or decrease the quality and quantity of your life and give you the ability to live a life that is qualitatively better and quantitatively longer, usually. Okay, with that introduction, I want to give you now three easy ways or three easy steps on how you can ruin your life from Proverbs chapter 9. So again, each point is meant to be understood, kind of like a, a funhouse mirror. It's like the opposite. You're not really wanting to apply this, but if you did want to ruin your life, here's how you can do this. And my whole point tonight is really choose wisdom. Choose wisdom or choose death. There is no third option. Choose wisdom or choose death. There is no third option. Choose dogs or choose death. There is no third option. <laughs> Don't get me started on cats. You guys know. Pastor PJ and I, the reason we're planting together is because we both agree about cats. That's what unites us. We're on the same page. 
Okay. Proverbs chapter 9, starting at verses 1 through 6. Now, let me just quickly lay out something for you. In fact, let's just read this together. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Follow along with me. Introduction to Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She's fashioned them. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And here's what she calls. Here's what they call. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. There's that live category. And walk in the way of insight. And so in picture number one, you have Lady Wisdom. Her invitation is to her party. Come to my party. Enjoy my feast. Be part of what I'm doing here. Learn from me. Become my disciple. I have so many good things that I have to offer you. If you will but come to my party, she says. But there's another character in Proverbs chapter 9, and she is Madame Folly. Yeah, Lady Wisdom on the one side and Madame Folly on the other side. Let me show you how this works out because it's important that you see this structure before we jump into this. So we just read these first six verses or so, one through, yeah, one through six. You have the picture of Lady Wisdom. And then on the opposite side of this proverb, verses 16, 13 through 18, you have Madame Folly who has a very similar offering. In fact, it's almost verbatim, word for word. And the depiction of who Folly is, is almost strikingly word for word with a few significant exceptions. Between these two pieces of bread, you have the sandwich meat of this uh, weird text in the middle. In fact, as I was doing my study for this, verses 7 through 12, there's a bit of disagreements from commentators about what the function of those verses are. I have a theory, and I'm happy to share that with you, and I'll get there. But I just want you to see how these two passages parallel one another. You would miss the point of the proverb if you didn't understand how those parallels function. So let me just quickly highlight some of those things for you now so that we can kind of work our way through this together. Take a look with me at these two passages. And we're going to draw some lines on the screen here just so we know what we're talking about. First of all, notice here, wisdom has built her house, right? So you see house here, and then you have, you got Folly's house over here in verse 14. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She's got this amazing thing here going on. Oh, well, you see that in Folly, she has a house, but it doesn't say anything about her building it. Maybe she's a squatter, and she just showed up one day, and now she has a house, but she's a squatter who has a house. Wisdom in verse 2 slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. She's taken some significant effort here to, to prepare for her guests. And you'll notice soon enough that folly has nothing going for it. You'll see very soon. Let me come back here. Notice also Lady Wisdom has young women to call. Those are servants. She has disciples who are doing her work for her, partnering with her to bring in more into the fold that she wants to teach. She calls from the highest place in the town. She says uh, to verse, in verses four and five, she makes the call. And you'll notice here, the verses are almost exactly the, the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever is simple, verse 16, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, and to him he lacks sense, she says, uh, verse 5, come and eat of my bread. Verse 17, notice a change. Stolen water is sweet. Don't you love the stolen water, she says? And the bread eaten in secret. Ooh, it's so tasty. The morsels are delicious. You'll notice here on the left-hand side on Lady Wisdom, she's saying, eat of my bread. It's her bread. She purchased it. She probably made it. Drink of the wine I have mixed, which means she added spices to it. It's purified. It was meant to be wine that was significant. It was the kind of wine that someone who had wealth could provide for her guests. Lady Wisdom says, I have wine. This gal over here, uh, Madam Folly, and please forgive me, ladies. This is not meant to be a personal attack on you. It just so happens to be the, the Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. Stolen water. Not wine. <laughs> water. And it's stolen water. So it's not like it's good. Hey, it's stolen water. And then bread eaten in secret, which suggests that it's also stolen as well. It's been lifted. You'll notice uh, uh, that in, again, on this side, you have young women, you have servants. But on the right-hand side for Lady Folly, she's got nobody. And the reason why is verse 18. She has nobody because she does not, or the, the young man who's being enticed either way, does not know that the dead are there. The servants or the disciples of Folly don't live. They show up to her doorstep, they enjoy her stolen bread and water, and they die. That stinks. <laughs> so 
Lady Wisdom has servants. She has disciples. Folly has nobody. She killed him. Uh, she has uh, stolen bread, water, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, she makes her house. Uh, Folly doesn't. Um, and that kind of is the gist. I think we could stop there and give you a sense of kind of the direction of the proverb. Does that make sense? Can I nod at me? Yes, you're tracking with me. Okay. So that's the, the, the flow of the whole thing. Life and death, two ladies, two choices. Uh, the way that you choose to live will have a dramatic impact on the end of your life and even the quality of your life right here and right now. So that's the starting of this. You got it? Got to take a picture? Okay. <laughs> Point number one, let's start with this. If you're going to ruin your life, make sure you don't discern the call of wisdom. Don't notice the difference between the two. No, 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 no. Just make sure that you ignore. They're same enough. They're similar enough. They got the same vocal call. Hey, just do the one that feels best to you. Don't make a distinction between wisdom and folly. You know that's not my point, right? That's the point. That's not my point. Okay, we're tracking. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Learn to discern the call of wisdom. Again, they're very similar. But the wise person will make a firm distinction, even though the offerings of benefits are pretty similar. Now, I love Spotify, but when I really want to listen to music, I go for Apple Music. And I'll tell you why. The platform isn't nearly as good. The, the playlists aren't nearly as good. But what I know, when I know what I want to listen to, I go to Apple Music because I can listen to lossless audio. I can plug in my, my headphones into my computer, attach a DAC, a digital analog converter, and listen to high-quality uh, stereo music. It's amazing. And apparently, uh, that's a rarity. A lot of people don't do that because most people can't hear the difference between high-quality audio and the lossy stuff that you hear on Spotify. No offense. Spotify, they, they compress the audio, so you can't hear all the details that the artist intended for you to hear. But really, it doesn't make a big difference. If you're listening to Spotify and I'm listening to Apple Music, we can both enjoy Snarky Puppy together, no problem. It doesn't matter, really, when it comes down to it. But what does matter is that you can distinguish not between lossless and lossly, but between wisdom and folly. Hmm? Tracking with me there? You must learn to distinguish these two things. Otherwise, you're going to be duped into following folly's call, thinking all along that you're doing the, right, the wise and right thing. So you need to understand what wisdom's call sounds like. Let me identify a few of those qualities of what wisdom's call would actually sound like if you want to follow her leadership. And indeed you should because she is a servant on behalf of Christ. Wisdom call, wisdom's call, first of all, you'll notice in verse one here, if you take a look, wisdom has built her house and she has hewn her seven pillars. I want to make an observation about that. Wisdom has built something. Wisdom has taken time and energy and effort to do something incredibly difficult. It wasn't easy to build a house. And not only that, but she's hewn seven pillars, which suggests, again, wealth, dignity. The number seven refers to a type of completion. It kind of gives a sense of, man, wisdom has got it going on. She knows what she's doing. She's planning. She's working hard. And I think that's an element of godly wisdom or true wisdom. Wisdom's call, first of all, sounds like sustained hard work. Wisdom is willing to put in effort, sweat equity, to learn and to grow, to produce something that will endure. And so wisdom takes the effort. Wisdom is willing to throw herself into this fully and completely. Now, one of the dangers, if you're trying to ruin your life, is to take shortcuts. One of the dangers for you as a young person or a younger person anyway, as an adult, is to, instead of discerning the call of wisdom, to work hard at whatever it is God has called you to do, instead of look for shortcuts. One shortcut I tried to take several years ago, some of you already know this, please pretend you haven't heard this before. One shortcut I tried to take was getting a laptop. I didn't have one. And so late one night at a 7-Eleven, a guy offered me a laptop for 400 bucks. And I said, absolutely. And so I pulled out money from the 7-Eleven ATM and purchased a laptop from a guy selling them out of his SUV. It's a brilliant idea, isn't it? I know only later did I found out what I actually purchased was not a laptop, but a box with a laptop cover, uh, which actually housed a bunch of magazines. I kept those magazines because I paid for these. These are my magazines. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I was disappointed. But here's one thing you, I don't know if I, I actually shared this before. Here's one aspect of the story that makes it worse. That night, I went to deposit my check at the bank 
This is before you could take a photo of it and deposit it automatically. Went to the bank. And, and again, it's late at night. There's no one else around. I go into the bank, and at the ATM is $200 cash. No one else around. So I'm looking at the ATM, and God gave me 200 Because I'm like, what am I supposed to do, right? I, just, I, said, I took the money. I pocketed the money. I'm rich. <laughs> But in the next hour, an hour hadn't even elapsed. I lost my $200 on magazines. <laughs> if I was wise enough, I would have saved it and I would have bought a, a nice gateway laptop at the Best Buy, you know, for 500 bucks or 600 bucks. I didn't do that. I tried to take a shortcut. And that's the danger for us all, to fail to discern the call of wisdom. I thought I had a shortcut in front of me. Now, if the guy really did have a laptop to sell to me in the middle of the night at a 7-Eleven, probably not. It's the stolen water situation, right? Probably not buying a laptop that I should legally own. But that's wisdom, live and learn. Now, here's what I want you to think about. As we think about this first point here, true wisdom requires sustained hard effort, sustained difficult, uh, aggressive effort, especially at this place in your life. What I want you to think about is who is in your life, in your ear, encouraging you with how to live, how to work. I know one, one guy that I, I, used to, I used to follow a lot, I'm going to caution you for, for a few reasons, but I used to follow a lot, was this Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week. You know, hey, you get to a place where you're automating your life and, and allowing things to work in your favor so that you're uh, receiving passive income, and then you could live the fire life financial independence, retire early. I thought, that sounds good. I could do that, and I could then become, you know, I could serve the church, and I have all this free time to work in Awana and change diapers. It was driven big. But I, I began to realize that even though, and Tim, hey, God bless him, Tim's got his own way of living. He's got his own platform where he's very influential. That's not the way God has called Christians to live or think necessarily. There's a lot more we could say about that, but I want to ask you, who is in your ear? Who is influencing you? Who's giving you wisdom about how to approach your work life, your work life, your effort, the way that you approach, the way that you're productive? Who's in your ear? And are they the kind of people that are affirming the wise and faithful path of disciplined, strenuous effort? Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's got goods and she's worked for them. In verse 2, she slaughtered her beast, mixed her wine, set up her table. Man, wisdom knows how to prepare, and so should you. Wisdom knows how to prepare. She demands diligent preparation. She's putting everything together, her meat, her mixed wine, flavorful spices, a table fit for a feast. Young person, if you don't want to ruin your life, I think one thing that would really help you is committing to the process of preparation. I know this particular part of your life is, is often challenging because it requires so much sweat equity on your part to continue with the process of adulting, of learning how to be a man, a woman, of not only saying you're independent, but being independent, living on your own, paying your bill. I get it. The process, the commitment to that process is just painful. But recognize that wisdom calls you to this. She's demonstrating it. She slaughtered her beast, which means she had to raise them or buy them and then take them to be slaughtered. She's mixed her wine. It's aged. Wine takes time to process and to grow. So she does all this to give evidence to the fact that she prepares, and so should you. Unless, of course, you desire to ruin your life, in which case then don't do any of that. Godly wisdom in verses 3 through 5. Notice this. She sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in town, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come and eat my bread. Drink of the wine that I have mixed. Now again, keep in mind that Madam Folly says, come and drink my water, my stolen water, and let's eat my bread in secret. Ain't nobody got to know. Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, is not offering you stolen goods. She's not offering you a life of cheap thrills. She's offering you something substantial. I put it like this. She's offering you godly virtue. True wisdom, God's wisdom, is offering you godly virtue. She wants you to learn to work hard. She wants you to learn to apply yourself, to learn the process of commitment. She's calling you to disciple under her, not so that you can have your cheap thrill bucket filled, but rather so that you might learn to be a man or woman after God's own heart, who reflects his glory and brings him honor. Preparing, learning to enjoy and commit to the process of preparation. One thing I would commend to you, Everyone in here, except for the leaders, is for the time being unmarried. And so what I would love for you to do, if you haven't done already, is to learn how to be a godly husband or wife. Prepare now 
So that as you're pursuing relationships, even in your dating relationships, you're already practicing and thinking through the skills of here's what a husband is, here's what a wife is, here's how a godly man acts, here's how a godly woman acts. I mean, find books. There's tons of books out there. Read marriage books beforehand. I think I've counseled, I've had the blessing of doing premarital counseling for a lot of different people. I think maybe two couples of the people, and there's no shade on any of them, by the way. Only a few couples have actually read a lot of marriage books beforehand. And I thought that's wise because you know what you're getting into. You know what you're signing up for. As opposed to saying, oh, I really like this person. Uh, let, me, let me learn now. No, learn before that. And then when you, sir, when you go to her dad and say, I want to marry your daughter, I prepare for this. I know exactly what this is going to look like. I have, at least I have in theory of what it's going to look like. Your her dad will appreciate your preparation. Young lady, learn what it is to be a godly wife. <laughs> Practice now. Learn now. Read the books now. Prepare now. Commit to the process. You'll be learning the rest of your life to be sure but now would be a really great time to start. She offers godly virtue. That's what godly wisdom does. Not worldly pleasure. Think about a pro-choice activist really quick, just to help paint this a little better. Pro-choice activist. Um, if you think about this gal, she might highlight sexual liberty. Like, it's my des- whatever I desire to do, my body. My body, my choice, right? Bodily autonomy, personal rights. If you even think about how someone positions themselves in the, in the public marketplace, she has to steal Christian virtues, distort them, and then re, reissue them. That makes sense? So she talks about, for instance, liberty. Christians would say liberty is a great thing. Whoever Christ set free is free indeed. We should honor. Yeah, we want liberty. We desire liberty. But what we mean by sexual liberty is really licentiousness our full cup of lust. That's what she's referring to when she says sexual liberty. A Christian would say, well, don't we, have, we ought to have personal chastity. Godly wisdom will say personal chastity. Godly wisdom will say not bodily autonomy, but selfless sacrifice. Godly wisdom will say not personal rights, but Christ rights over you. See, the, the difference here is subtle, but it is significant. Folly will appeal to your fleshly desires where wisdom will appear not to your fleshly desires, but your godly desires. If you're a Christian, when wisdom offers her fruit, you'll say, yes, I do want that. I do want more self-control. I do want more maturity and God-honoring habits and virtues in my life. I do want more patience with people. I do want more selfless love and sacrifice, especially as a young man. I do want to be the kind of man that a young woman will trust me and know that I would just as soon die than do anything that might defy her love for God or even her love for others. I'd rather be the kind of guy that's willing to take the hit. Oh, man, would, would it be that God would give us a church full of men that are willing to die for the sake of Christ? We're going to get to that in a minute, but just recognize here, godly wisdom versus, uh, offers godly virtue. Folly offers the opposite. You know that Spotify allegedly paid Joe Rogan $200 million dollars. For, their, for them to host his podcast exclusively on Spotify's platform. And he gets, you know, did you know this? He gets 11 million listens per podcast. Rough and dirty. 11 million. I think that's most than any of the major networks on traditional news media. Here's why that's important. He's probably the most influential person, if not one of the most influential people in our culture today. I want you to be able to discern wisdom's call when you listen to people like Joe Rogan or whoever it else is that you follow. To be able to listen and say, okay, what is he teaching? Is that something God would approve of? What am I giving my time and my attention to? Am I listening to things that are going to help me love God better? Or is he selling the kind of goods that folly offers? Verse six, Proverbs 9, 6. Leave your simple ways. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. I bring up a verse and then you're going to quote it for me. You ready? John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, Okay, that was very timid. Well, Jesus said, I am the, and the, and the, no one comes to the Father but through. Okay, great. Way, truth, and life. You're noticing in verse uh, 6, leave your simple ways. Follow my way, right? I am the life. Live, he says, Live in me the life. Walk in the way of insight. 
Proverbs 96, although not explicitly a Christian Jesus text, is a Christian Jesus text. It points to Jesus. And that's the case for all true wisdom. All wisdom is ultimately going to find its fulfillment and its pointing to Christ. Wisdom points to Christ. Wisdom always points to Christ. In, in Christ, you learn your way. In Christ, you live. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No, no one comes to the Father but through me. Godly wisdom will always point to Christ, which is why I want to caution you against the influencers that you might be tempted to listen to, the books that you read, the podcasts you hear, the friends that you invite to speak into your life. Let it be true of us as Christians that all of our lives, when it comes to wisdom, we're pointing to Christ. We're encouraging that and not encouraging the world's voice. So if you want to ruin your life, don't do any of these things. Don't discern wisdom's call. Go your own way. Listen to what makes you feel good. And be sure to follow the voice that sounds really close to wisdom, but isn't quite that. Told you that this is a sandwich, right? This is a sandwich. Verse six, first six verses, piece of bread number one. Last six verses, piece of bread number two. We get the middle section now. I told you this is a, kind of a challenging piece to figure out what to do with. There's a couple ideas about this, but let me, let me offer you this. I think that verses seven through 12 are, uh, they function as something of a diagnostic. If the first woman is the, the first woman wisdom is offering wisdom, and the second woman uh, folly is offering foolishness. The middle is kind of a well. How do I know which one I'm following? How do I know what path I'm on? I think these middle verses here offer a pause for a diagnostic. Here's what it looks like. Here's here's the kind of questions you should be asking. And I think these are super. My second point might be my most important point, even though it's the opposite. Okay, you ready for this? Let's look at these verses together, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go to our point. Verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer, a jeerer, a mocker, someone who treats wisdom with contempt, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Don't reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. But if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still, or still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One, that is insight. For by me, by wisdom, your days will be multiplied. You'll live a longer life, and years will be added to your life. There you go. Quantity and quality. You see both of those aspects, and they're in that life concept. Verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, if you're a mocker, you alone bear the brunt of it. That's the sense there. Choose wisdom or choose death. There is no third way. But if you insist and you do want to ruin your life in three easy steps, the first step was to, not, uh, to fail to discern the call of wisdom. The second step, as we look at these verses here, to ruin your life, believe you already have it all figured out. Be the kind of person who doesn't listen to correction. Be incorrigible. When you're rebuked and corrected by somebody, be sure to tell them they're entirely wrong about you and wave them off with a flick of the wrists. Be gone, sinner. Talketh to me, noteth. <laughs> you don't need to use King James, but I do think if you, if you want to ruin your life, be sure to not be easily correctable. Be proud. Be proud of who you are and proud of the sins that you've committed thus far. Make sure to hold your head high and never humble yourself in the presence of others who might have a little more wisdom than you. Of course, I mean the opposite of all of that. Characteristic of someone who is on the path toward folly is someone who refuses to be corrected. And if I could be so bold with you, I might suggest that pride is probably one of the greatest temptations in your age and stage of life. And I say that because you've accumulated so much knowledge. You've gone through years of training in your schools by this point. Maybe you've been a Christian for your whole life before the womb, so you know a lot of Christian theology. And you've, you've kind of done okay at this point. You've lived your life and you've done reasonably successful, successfully. But in that, the creeping tendency for all of us is to puff our chests up and to say, I know everything I need to know. I would caution you and encourage you to be the exact opposite of this person. You see, okay, let me, a quick illustration here. I'm sure all of you like smelling good, right? You put on deodorant, took a shower, some of you like cologne or perfume. Everyone loves to smell good, hopefully, to smell good. 
And there are a few things that smell sweeter on a person than genuine humility. I mean, am I right? Like genuine humility from someone that just gets it, like they just know who they are, they're, they, and they're okay loving you, they're present with you, they don't have to put on a show. They are who they are, and they're okay with being that person in front of you, and they want to serve you. But what reeks? You ever hear the phrase, he reeks with pride? The smell of pride just falls off of him. You're like, whoa, whoa, putrid, disgusting. I want it, ah, get off of me. Pride stinks. And if I could also just take another step of boldness with you, let me tell you this. If you possess humility, genuine Christ-like humility, you will have a head and shoulders, uh, uh, head and shoulders advantage over most other people your age. When you go to get a job or interview at some kind of school, they will just love you because you're humble. It's such a rare and beautiful quality. The Proverbs highlight this quality of humility as something that is part and parcel with knowledge of the Holy One, with the fear of the Lord. A wise person is by nature a humble person. Not that it's automatic, you must work at it and massage that, but a wise person will be humble. A foolish person will reek with pride. Look at verses 7 and 8. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Let, let me get real for, for, with you a second. In fact, let me just take you to my, my notes here. Let me just help with this. Because you have it already figured out, don't invite correction from wise people. Because you have it all figured out, you know how to live this life, don't invite correction from wise people. Please, please, please have people in your life who can take you to task because you've given them a license to do that. Now, I don't want to make you all the sin police. I don't want to see you guys going to task with your leaders and saying, oh, you're a sinner and you shouldn't have done that. I do want you to be bold with people that have given you the license. You know what I'm saying? You talk to people and say, hey, look, you're my friend. I love you. You're my iron sharpens iron kind of man. Will you please be that man in my life who is willing to call me out because of sin? You see sin in my life? Please tell me. You see me talk wrongly to someone or make a dirty joke, please tell me. If I don't catch it, please tell me. You're not doing me any favors by pretending that I'm not, uh, that I'm not sinning. I want someone to do that with me. One of the best inventions that I've ever seen is the blind, uh, the, the blind spot sensor on people's cars. You see those things? You probably have one. I don't have one. I just have a big mirror in my thing. The blind spot sensor helps protect you and the other driver from being hit in that blind spot. Humans don't have a blind spot sensor. We're just blind to it. The blind spot sensor in our lives most of the time is the Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, he uses other people in the body of Christ, which is why we're called the body of Christ, right? You're not just a singular thumb all by yourself. You have the rest of the body to support the thumb and vice versa. You need people in your life who can call you out and say, you're on the path of falling. What are you doing? Why are you browsing that thing? Why are you listening to that artist? Why are you watching that TV show? It doesn't mean you're not going to disagree about things. Sure, but that's healthy. Let's talk about those things that we disagree about then. But somebody in your life, listen to me, please. Somebody in your life needs that license. Who has that license? You need at least a few people. Ideally, you have godly leaders who have that license, but some of them may not even be willing to use it on you because you haven't made it abundantly clear that you welcome that. Tonight, I'm going to encourage you to do that if you haven't done that already. And if you don't have people, peers who can do that, I'm going to encourage you to do that too. Find people that say, look, I'm giving you a blank check in my life. You know what a check is? Check. <laughs> giving you a blank debit card? <laughs> giving you a blank Venmo? Okay. Anyway, you get the idea. You have full access to my life. You come to my apartment, you got refrigerator rights. You can open it up and just take whatever you want. That's the kind of access I want you to give them. Say, look, I want you to look out for me. And I want to do the same for you but give them access. Give them the license. Otherwise, people would get timid. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. We just kind of hold back. But here's what Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. It's better to have someone openly say something to you rather than to say, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Oh, man, he's just so tender. I don't want to, I don't want to make him feel upset with me. Man, I, I, would it be that God would give each and every single one of us people that are bold in our lives to say, look, I care for you. Are you sure that's the best thing for you to be doing right now? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But an enemy 
multiplies kisses. An enemy will tell you that you're great all day, every day. An enemy will never find fault with you. <laughs> never find fault with you publicly. They'll, they see the faults. <laughs> Make no mistake. Enemy sees the faults. They just don't tell you about them. Which is why, again, you need that blind spot sensor in your life. Who has that license in your life? Find several people, ideally. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man. He'll still be wiser. Um, I would say if you, if you want to ruin your life, be sure not to develop a grow and grace plan. Be sure not to find ways to mobilize your resources and grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. Be sure not to spend time and intentional energy planning out how you'll grow as a man or woman of God. Be sure not to do that. This is why directed learning is so helpful. You know, you go take a CBI class, 16 weeks is already planned out for you. But we don't only want to do that for 16 weeks. The rest of our lives should be filled with ways of how do I grow in Christ? How do I become a better employee, a better employer for some of you? How do I become a better mother, a, a better, a better uh, accountant, a better lawyer? How do I become a better Christian overall? You should have goals, memorization goals, book studies. You should have uh, things in your mind and heart that say, I, I want to grow. I wanna, a righteous man wants to increase in learning, wants to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. Verse 10. Verse 10 is related to chapter 1, verse 7. So this is the bookend. Remember I told you chapters 1 through 9 kind of function as one unit. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Chapter 9, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They function as bookends. That's how that works. It says here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Really, wisdom starts and ends with Christ. It, ends, it starts and ends with the fear of the Lord. And if you want to be sure to ruin your life, hey, please make sure not to practice a God-centered life. Be sure to go your own way, to be your own God, to function as your own captain of your own ship, and pretend like you exist apart from and independent of God himself. Be sure to practice a worldly self-affirmation, an anthropocentric universe. Practice self-love and self-acceptance. Don't make yourself feel bad about sin. Don't make yourself feel bad about the fact that God calls you to a different standard in the world. Hey, it's all fine. Be okay with who you are. You be you. And of course, I mean the opposite of all of that. You live in a God-centered, God-ordered universe. Live as though that were true. Verses 11 and 12. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, young man, young woman, you are wise for who? You're wise for who? Yourself. You are the primary beneficiary of your wise, God-honoring choices. Similarly, you're the, primary, you're the primary one who also loses when you practice a life of foolishness and folly. Primary one, but not the only one. In the same way that David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he wasn't the only one who suffered from his sin. Bathsheba suffered by losing her husband and her baby. Lots of people hurt in the spillover of your sin, but you suffer the most. You're the one who suffers most uniquely. Put it like this, the last one here. Be sure not to affirm a sanctified self-interest. There is a godly, sanctified self-interest. I want to appeal to that, and God wants to appeal to that. God, as your father, is saying, son, daughter, choose life. Choose to follow my path and live. Why, why die? Why drink poison for your soul and think that that's not going to have an impact? Son, daughter, choose life. Young person, adopt humility. Don't believe you already have it figured out. Never get to that point. Never get to that point. You'll be learning as long as you live. And I'm sure 10 years from now, they're going to look back at you of today and say, man, that guy was a fool. She was a dummy. <laughs> and then 10 years later, you're probably going to feel the same way about yourself. And that would in some ways be a good thing because that means you're growing, you're maturing. It's not that you're going to deny your, your fundamental core beliefs. I hope that never happens, but it will mean that you're growing and maturing. The last few verses, 13 through 18, this is Madam Folly. We've already read this. So let me just highlight for you and give you your point. Madam Folly What's unique about her, in addition to the fact that she offers you inferior products, 
Same call. Hey, come to me if you're simple and foolish. Come to me. But she offers you inferior products. But they're still pretty exciting. It's bread in secret. Stolen water. It's like, oh man, this is kind of, it appeals to me in a very sinful way. My flesh says, yeah, that does sound fun. I'd love to be part of that. I, didn't, I, didn't, I think I might enjoy that. She's seductive in that. What she wants you not to do, though, is not to think about the ultimate endpoint of what she's offering. She's trying to blind you from the fact that there is an inevitable catastrophe awaiting you at the end of the chain of her benefits. Because you accept her offerings, and then she leads you down to the path of Sheol, and then you die. Point number three, if you'd like to ruin your life, third step is not to think too hard about long-term consequences. Don't think about what happens at the end of the road of sin. Be sure not to think about that. Maybe, maybe a quick glance, but not too long. Taking a walk with my son recently, and the conversation veered toward death. And I said, son, do you recognize that even though you're a young man, and he just turned 13, that even though you're a young man, do you recognize that God could take you at any moment? You could, you could die. You could die, son. I could die. I could die right now. You have to clean up my, my body off the floor. I wasn't trying to be morbid. I wasn't trying to be, you know, scary. But I was trying to be serious. I wanted him to understand the consequences of his decisions today need to be thought of in light of not only our death, which does matter, but eternity. So when I talk about long-term consequences, I, I, am, I am talking about like years down, but I'm also talking about millions of years down, the eternal term consequences of how God wants you to live. You see, here's the thing. Both, both, think about this with me. Both, both the wise and the foolish are pleasure seekers. We all are. All of us, by God's design, are meant to seek after pleasure. The difference here is that the wise are looking for the best pleasures. The foolish are happy with the quick and dirty high. God says to you, as his father, to his sons and daughters, saying, and it just happens you guys are kind of divided that way, uh, God says to you, look, come after the best pleasures I have for you. Don't be satisfied with the cheap thrill. Let me give you steak. Stop eating the 39-cent cheeseburger from McDonald's. Let me give you the best of what I have to give and, and approach it the appropriate way. Follow my path, and I've got the best gifts for you. Don't be satisfied with the cheap stuff. The challenge for us, though, is to deny those cheap thrills because they're so immediate. They're so present and palpable and tasty. And you could smell it, taste it. Like your senses are assaulted by all that sin offers you in the here and now. Your job is to deny those things and say, I want the best pleasures that are available for me. Young man and young woman plan for eternity. Don't think too hard about long-term consequences. Pfft, toss out that wisdom. It's not wisdom at all. But if you're going to ruin your life and you insist on it, let me give you three ways to do that. To avoid thinking too much about eternity, hey, be, be sure to focus only on the pleasure sin brings. Be sure not to think about what's going to happen in the future. The woman folly is loud, verse 13 says. She is seductive. She knows how to attract, fly to the ointment. She knows what to do to bring you into her camp. She's seductive. And yet she knows nothing, verse 13 says. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She knows what she's doing. Sin is tempor temporarily fun, but hell is real, and you would do well to avoid those things. More, more potently, it is those very sins that we have to keep in mind, even as Christians, those very sins that Christ paid for on the cross with his blood. Let it not be that we take sin cavalierly. Don't focus, no, rather, focus on the pleasures sin brings if you'd like to ruin your life. If you'd like to ruin your life, Here's one for you. Become easily distracted and spineless. That's provocative, isn't it? Let me, let me show you where I got that from. Verses 14 through 16. Folly sits at the door of her house. Notice she's sitting. She's not standing. She's just chilling. Sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. So she's visible. She's making a really strong effort at being known and heard. She calls to all those who pass by who are going where? All those who pass by who are going straight on their way. 
So these people that she's calling to, they have, they're going somewhere. They have a purpose and a plan. But she calls him in. Whoever is simple, let him turn in. And to him she relaxes and she says, yeah, come, come follow me. So she's able to successfully distract those who are on their way. Which I take to mean the fact, which I take to mean that there are people like yourself who might be going to church, you're going straight on your way, and yet you hear the siren call of folly just beckoning you to say, come on, do things my way. It's just so much better over here. And because you're easily distracted and you lack conviction, you kind of just drift. There are so many who drift out of their walk with Christ. It's not one choice, it's many choices, many small choices. Which you'll notice back in verse 6 in Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom says, walk, walk, walk with me, walk in my way. You think about walking, that's progression, isn't it? It's, it's a way of living your life that continues to follow a certain path. Some people stop walking with, with wisdom and they start walking toward folly in slow, almost imperceptible steps. And I'm begging you, young man and young woman, not to do that. Don't become easily distracted. Don't be spineless. What are you giving your precious and limited attention to? I don't want you to be distracted in your Christian life. I don't want you to be distracted as a man becoming ready to become a husband, to become a wife. I don't want you to be distracted in your love for Jesus. So what are you giving your precious and limited attention to? Your, your attention is literally your life, right? You're giving your attention to something. This is how you're spending your life. One author writes it this way, just as you are what you eat, when it comes to the information you consume, you are what you choose to focus on. And I thought that's, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that is a biblical thought, which is why David says in Psalm 101, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I want nothing to do with that. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Did David forget evil? Did David, did David just, uh, did he just suddenly have a lobotomy? Nope. He said, I will deliberately avoid those things. I will deliberately avoid giving my time, my energy, my attention to those things which will cause me to be intimately acquainted with evil. Spineless, lacking conviction. What are you giving your attention to? Conviction. I don't want you to be spineless Christians. In fact, you can't be. In today's culture, you cannot afford to be a spineless Christian. You will crumble under the pressure of all the cultural authorities. Here's how you avoid that then. You must, as a young man and young woman, give, I mean, adequate, but maybe a better word would be significant attention to growing in the knowledge of Christ and saying, I want to know why I believe what I believe. You should have a theology of technology, a theology of entertainment, like, what do I give myself to and why? Well, how do I make those decisions? You should have a theology about that. You should be building a theological framework for how you understand your life in order not to become easily distracted and spineless. Lastly, in verse 18, notice here that the disciples of folly are like the discipler. He does not know that the dead are there. And the woman folly in 13, she's seductive and she knows nothing. They both know nothing. Everybody knows nothing. <laughs> He doesn't know that the dead are there, that our guests are in the depths of Sheol. The end point for folly is death. But if you prefer to ruin your life, you don't want to think about the long-term consequences too hard. Let's be sure to allow yourself a blasé attitude toward weighty things, weighty truths. In other words, as you hear me preaching about life and death and calling you, begging you to, uh, to pursue wisdom, shrug your shoulders, don't take it too seriously. It's just Pastor Rod getting excited again. So just, you know, go through the motions. Hear what he's saying. Pretend to write a couple things down. Think about your text messages and go on your merry way. Foolishness, which is equivalent with wickedness, delivers certain and inevitable death. One of the potential characteristics of a church-going person today is they could be like the people Paul condemns in 2 Timothy 3 people that are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. If you ever find yourself going to church or opening your Bible and feeling like, oh, I just don't want to do this today. I don't feel like opening my, I don't feel like learning. I don't feel like praying. That's a bad place to be. I understand. And I've been there. I've been there. But let me tell you this. You cannot allow yourself to stay there. 
you must do whatever you need to do to get out of that funk. A Christian isn't going to say, well, okay, I just, whatever. You can't. Like, you just can't. If you hurt your pinky toe, you're not going to stop walking, right? You're just going to, oh, man, my pinky toe, I'm just going to sit down and never stand again. I'm going to get a wheelchair. You're not going to do that, right? I hope not. Your Christian life, you're going to hurt your pinky. You're, you're going to be disabled in your Christian life at some point in time. You're going to hurt and, and have difficulty. Your, your response is resolve. Not repudiating your faith. The response is resolve, not repudiation. Like, oh, I feel, see, I hurt my pinky toe. Christianity must not be real after all. Forget all this. No one's a real Christian anyway. No, repudiate your own sin if you're going to repudiate anything and resolve to follow Christ. Don't allow yourself to be blasé, nonchalant, unserious about weighty truths, especially when it comes to your life and your death. Okay, I guess if I were going to summarize this, I would encourage you to hear the call of wisdom and answer her challenge. I would also encourage you to humble yourself, humble yourself and seek out correction from wise people. And I would also encourage you to live daily with eternity in mind. Feel the weightiness of that. In fact, one of my practices that I would encourage you to adopt that I heard from somebody else long ago was to think frequently about my death. I do that almost daily, and I've never stopped, and that's been so helpful because it motivates me daily to work, not just for today, but for every day in the future, for eternity. And I pray by God's grace and his goodness that you will also adopt a similar mentality so that you can give God all that he deserves and that you will live up to the potential that he's designed you for. Young person, young man, young woman, Choose wisdom or choose death. There is no third option. Let's pray. God, we do pray that we'd be the kind of people that choose wisdom, that we choose Christ, that we live according to what his word says, that we might live lives that are fruitful, productive, godly, and powerfully effective in the world around us. Please give us the grace and the strength not to grow weary, not to give up. Instead, to see Christ as worthy of all honor, glory, power, and praise. Give us a heart that is truly undivided in love and loyalty to him. We need him. And even tonight, Lord, I pray if there is any sense of conviction for uh, areas of our lives where we're just, we're not doing it right, we know we need to change, I pray that tonight would be a great night where change is affected. We renew our love and affection for you, where we have a firm resolve to follow Christ no matter the cost. Teach us, Lord. Forgive us for our shortcomings and our sins, our failures, and give us the grace to walk forward, to look ahead, to deny ourselves, and to give ourselves fully and completely to King Jesus because he is worthy. In his name we pray, amen.